All right. Hello and welcome back to Under a Rock with Brielle and Gerlin. Hey. Hello. Hello. Um, to, with, ah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> he was so excited to do so, the intro today. So excited, and man. And you already messed it up. <laughs> ah, my one shot. <laughs> so <laughs> this is um episode four of the podcast. And um, today, on this episode, we are talking about Avatar The Last Airbender, episodes 10, 11, and 12 mm-hmm. of book one. Yep. All right. So, Jet. Yeah. I, I know, episode 10, Jet. I know you got a lot to say about this one. <laughs> Let's talk about Mouthweed Boy. Let's do it. Let's Mouthweed do it. Boy. Okay. <laughs> um, first off, I want to just say, like, I love Momo. Momo is great. <laughs> He's the best. The best character. Hands down. Okay. So the episode starts and Aang and Sok and Katara are walking through this forest and Momo gets caught in a trap. And Aang is like, oh, I got to save Momo. And Sokka whips out his boomerang and cuts all the animals down, which like a plus boomerang you, Sokka. That is really good. Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, there's this whole argument that um Sokka and Katara have about like who the leader of the group should be if it should be Sokka or it should be Aang and I personally find it really funny (laughs) Katara's like oh you haven't even kissed a girl yet and he's like I have oh is it grand grand I've met grand grand but I think it's funny because like Sokka's first kiss was Yue like a princess and the spirit of the moon and Katara's first kiss was Jet. Like, Katara, Ooh, you can't... You can't, can't say none. Can't even talk. <laughs> can't talk, Katara. And also, it's really funny to me because, like, Sokka could have lied and said, like, oh, Suki kissed me. Like, he could have done that to, like, make, be, like, seem more masculine and right. manly. But he, like, he doesn't. He doesn't even think to lie. I thought he was going to say Suki. That's what I thought, too. But he's just like, you uh, haven't met her. <laughs> and everything. And, like... <laughs> It's just funny to me. Like, I just, I think the way that the writers capture the way that, you know, preteens and kids talk is A plus. Because it really does sound, when all the kids talk to each other, it really does sound like actual conversations that kids would have. Right. Yeah. Most definitely. And then they wander because of Sokka's instincts. Sokka's instincts. (laughs) uh, Into a Fire Nation camp, which is very scary. (laughs) <laughs> Hooray for soccer instincts, man. Yeah. <laughs> a, just A1. Instead of flying, let's just walk right into a Fire Nation camp. Exactly. Like, let's just do it. I mean, in, in all honesty, his instincts aren't terrible. No. Like, it does make sense that maybe they should avoid flying sometimes because Appa is so noticeable. Like, he has the right idea. It was just bad timing. It was just really bad timing. It was a little weird that Katara and Aang were, like, arguing the fact that Appa isn't noticeable. Like, how is he not? Like, yeah. Sokka ha- had a legitimate point. Alpha is this 10-ton flying... Bi- how many flying bisons are in the world right now? Exactly, yeah. Like, he's very noticeable. Not only is it, like, super noticeable just because Appa is, like, a big thing in the sky, but also he has the bit markings of the air nomads. Right. So, like, he's going to be a target. <laughs> like, he's huh. just bad timing. There's only one airbender in the world, right? And isn't that airbender the Avatar? <gasps> yeah exactly (laughs) um so they're about to get beaten by some fire nation and jet and his band of kids show up and take out those fire nation soldiers honestly it's pretty impressive it really is impressive that like there's like what 
15 kids and they managed to take out pretty much a, a whole like there's army. a lot of them yeah, yeah like there's at nation. least like Truth. 30 plus people you know and and they're all adults with fire bending power and everything and it's impressive you gotta admit that it's impressive i give credit where it's due yeah you know i'm watching it and i'm like oh yeah that is pretty cool like you kind of forget as you go through this series and like you think back, you're like, oh, Jet's kind of a loser. He's a jerk <laughs> because of what you find out later in the episode. Right. But when we first meet him, he's really cool, you know, and he's, you know, older and he's living in the woods and he's the leader of a group and he's taken out the Fire Nation. Like he's really cool. And the show does so much to make you think that right away and believe that like Katara does, you know, Um which, again, is good writing because then when the flip happens, it's even more heartbreaking and right. it's even more, you know, anger inducing for both Katara and for the audience. Yeah. Very much. And Jed is very smooth. How um, when he counters the the Fire Nation tr- um, soldier counters it and then kicks him in the back of his head. Mm-hmm. He stumbles. But like the way he stumbles is like the way they animated he stumbles and like goes right back up to Katara. Like, yeah. Hey, that was smooth. That was smooth. A little. <laughs> saying hey right now reminded me of um, Spider Verse. Oh, yeah. Hey. Yeah. I don't have um, my. Was Marlisha? Mar- Marlisha Ali? I can't pronounce his first name. Mahershala. 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 I don't have his smooth, silky, <laughs> rich tone voice, but you get it. I point. get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that was really smooth. And then, you know, Katara being. I... Yeah. It's at hey. this point when I was watching the show that I was like, huh, I'm a lot like Katara. <laughs> yes. We... And that isn't a bad thing. I just want to clarify that. It's not a bad it's thing. It's not a bad thing. But like watching Katara throughout these episodes, I'm like, oh man, I'm really like Katara. Like if I ever took one of those, like what Avatar character you most like, it would be, it would Katara. be Katara, especially when I was young, like younger, because I'm 27 now. But when I was 14, I was 100% like Katara. Mm. Like if some guy like Jet stumbled up to me after like fighting to protect me, I'd be like, hi, take me up to your treehouse. Let's do it. Like I, I get it. I really Whoa, do. <laughs> let's do it. Come, Brielle. That's not down. what I meant. Stop I it. We're trying to keep this clean. Keep- well, please. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, but I get it. I really, really do. Um, y- you know, he's got, he's really, like you said, he's really smooth. Very smooth. Um, I also really like in this episode and, and the episodes following, we kind of see Aang's ability to just connect with people so instantaneously and so joyously. Like, it's so wholesome and funny when he is introduced to Duke, the Duke and Pipsqueak, and he assumes that Pipsqueak is the little one, but it's actually the big one. Right. And the big one is like, well, what's like, my, is my name funny? And he's like, yeah, it's hilarious. And they all start laughing. You know, I think Ang's ability to just find a common ground with people and just be so light and so airy and so you know kind really helps him connect to people because this whole episode he's kind of just flitting around flying around he's not really doing much but he's connecting and having a good time with all the kids which i think is sweet you know this episode isn't so much about ang but he's always there in the background making connections that will come into play later honestly you know i mean it's a very obvious comparison and i'm not the first person to make this comparison i know for a fact 
but Jet's whole band of kids is very much like Peter Pan and the Lost Boys, mm. which I think obviously was done on purpose. I mean, there are so many allusions to it, like living up in the trees and the bird calls and the fact that they have no moral <laughs> compass. All of these kids are just bloodthirsty. Um, but it's just interesting, you know, to see all the different things that the showrunners took to make this show, you know. It's funny. You say Peter Pan. I was thinking more of Codename Kids Next Door. Which they came out around around the same, same time. time. Yeah. So it's not like one would be inspired by the other. But it you could argue saying that mm. um Peter Pan and, and the Lost Boys inspired Codename Kids Next Door. Yeah, I mean yeah. anything kind of involving children forming their own group and like taking care of business and like fighting and stuff, I think is especially if they're more mostly boys. Because there were girls in Jet's group, but like in, they were mostly boys, um, has to be inspired by right. Peter Pan. Heck, or even inspired by Lord of the Flies, which is another thing entirely. I don't know <laughs> if this was inspired by Lord of the Flies, but you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely, you can see the illusions and what I think is so clever, and maybe this is just me kind of putting my like English degree to good use, <laughs> but when you first read Peter Pan and you meet the Lost Boys, it seems idyllic. It seems like, oh, these kids just play all day and they have fun and they fight pirates and everything's great and wonderful. And then you slowly peel back the layers and Wendy and the reader realize that these kids are like monsters. Like they don't have any sense of consequence. They don't have any moral compass. They don't understand that their actions cause pain. You know, they, they try to hurt Wendy and hurt her brothers. They actively hurt the pirates, you know, and they don't realize because they grew up without parents to teach them those things. And Peter encourages that behavior. And the same thing goes with Jet and his group. Like on the surface, it's like, oh, how fun. All these kids just live in trees and they fight the Fire Nation. How great. And then you peel it back and you realize what they're doing is actively hurting innocent people in some weird quest for justice and revenge, which I think is kind of brilliant you know you would do great on um tell tell me that you like you you've passed with flying colors on your um english regions i mean i uh when i i did i never i don't remember what i got on my english regions but i got a four on my ap lit so i I believe it because the way the way you compared um the two works was oh thank you that was chef's kiss thank you yeah um I'm a creative writing minor, uh, or was at least. Um, yeah, no, I got a four of my AP lit. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, but this is a very interesting episode. Um, now we go up to the trees, and then we have this little romantic moment between. Because it's just hilarious how um, they changed the the um, the art, not, not the art style. The art. Yeah. yeah, it's like is is that is that cliche um, romantic filter where it's mm-hmm. like all beige and then you you hear um i don't know exactly what that sound is but it's like it's like kind of paper flipping or something like that yeah you hear that they go up in the trees and everything has a soft filter everything has a soft filter like bro and then katara's looking up at jet like wow (laughs) oh my god i get it katara i get it (laughs) yeah i imagine for a boy it probably is a little like i don't i don't need it um, what really stood out to me in this episode was the fact that Aang wasn't jealous at all. Like, no, in the slightest. he really wasn't. So it just, so it's like his, I guess his feelings weren't fully developed for, for Katara yet. 
at this point? Probably, yeah. Um, but who was jealous was Sokka. Yeah. I thought that was uh that was interesting that instead of like doing the cliche of, oh, this love interest and that love interest, like he's jealous of that guy because that guy is stealing essentially his crush. Mm-hmm. But it was like, no, it's it's more of a sibling thing. It's like you're just jealous of Jet because he's a better leader mm-hmm. and everything. Um Yeah. She 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 picks Jet. Over her own brother. Yeah. Own flesh. At first, yeah, she does. So is, is, is that what it's like being a 14-year-old girl? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I personally wouldn't know because I don't have a brother. But, no. you know, I I don't think I... I mean, not to, like, knock Katara. I don't think I would ever do that. I don't think I would ever choose my, like, crush over my sister. But it's also slightly a different situation. Like... You know, everything that Katara had seen had pointed to Jet being like this great and fearless leader. And Sokka was just kind of being a whiny teenager. So Mm. I kind of understand why she would be like, I like Jet better than you right now. I mean, at the end, she does pick Sokka and she does stand by him. Yeah, after she found out he was a maniac. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, like I said, this is... This situation has never happened to me. I've never been involved in this kind of situation, so I can't really speak to that. I will say that I just love Sokka in this episode. He's such a good boy. He's Honestly, such a good boy. This is this is a really good Sokka episode. <laughs> yeah, because we really see like his capabilities as a leader. We see his natural instincts. We see his you know own kind of um, morality and his own um, you know what's the word I'm looking for. We see his creativity we see his bravery we see his quick thinking like this episode really i think kind of sets up the scene for Sokka to become the leader that we know he's going to be very very much so i will say though going back to like katara picking jet over her brother this episode is a prime example of katara's ability and inclination to always see the good in people coming to bite her in the butt Mm. like this is not the first time that it happens where she gives someone the benefit of the doubt and they hurt her. Um, you know, but I think this episode is a prime example of, you know, how Katara's one of Katara's strengths, which is her open heart and her optimism kind of being a negative, which I think is so brilliant. Like it's, it's a mark of good character development when your strength can also be a weakness, Mm. you know? And what a great character trait for her to have, that she's so kind and so willing to help people that she sometimes sees good where there isn't. And I think that's really brilliant, you know, and, and a good character trait for her to have. Very. Yeah. And we even see what happens when she sees that not everyone has good. Mm-hmm. When, um, when, when she comes to the realization that, like, Jet is crazy and he's willing to kill innocents just mm. to um get rid of the Fire Nation. When when she first attacks Jet with the water, mm. the first attack, when she pulls the water back in, you can see like shock on her face. Yeah. Like as if she didn't want to do that. No. Like not... it was just just pure emotion, a pure reaction of just like, oh my God. I I believed in you. I put she even says it like I trusted you and you're crazy and I trusted you. Mm-hmm. I trusted you yeah. and you're crazy. Like, how could you like betray my trust like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then after 
after Jet kind of, I guess, subdues Aang, that's when she goes full ham. Oh yeah. We 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 see we see the the seeds of her becoming a uh, a water master. Mm-hmm. Like she did so so nice and effortlessly. How like boom boom boom, and then the frost. Yeah, which She's is like, so cool. We we see we seen her really develop her water bending. Yeah, and I think it's also really cool because water is so connected to i believe their emotions um that it makes sense that when she's very agitated or emotional that her waterbending would be stronger mm-hmm. you know um this episode is also really cool because it shows that not every fire nation person is bad and not every non fire nation person is good which mm-hmm. i think is so important for this show to kind of make everything gray. Like this show, which I think is so wonderful, is not very black and white. It's very gray. And this is one of those episodes that helps make everything gray because, you know, we have Jet and his band of kids who are actually not good. You know, I mean, I guess technically they they are good because they're just following what Jet says. And I don't think most of them would want to kill innocent people, but they still do. They still hurt people and you know they're not fire nation which i think is so important as as kind of a lesson to teach children who are watching this show that there are good and bad people everywhere mm-hmm. and you can't just paint a bold stroke and say x is bad y is good you know and jet jet tries to use that to manipulate um Katarin and Aang mm-hmm. when Sokka confronted not confronted them when Sokka came to them with this information of Jet tried to like beat up this old man yeah and Jet was all like wow so you told him I beat up an old man but you failed to mention that he was Fire Nation and even Sokka's just like alright so what he was Fire Nation he was an innocent civilian mm-hmm. like it, it really does paint that that gray yeah picture on um and I think th- this episode also kind of shows the two ways of viewing and understanding war mm-hmm because Jet's way of viewing war, like guerrilla warfare and take no prisoners and stuff, is how some people, how some countries wage war. Right. They do a complete, like, destruction, like the Fire Nation. They just take no prisoners, they just go crazy, and they just destroy, destroy, destroy. Um, and Sokka seems to have a more nuanced view of war, which I think is better. I mean, obviously, war is bad right. no matter what, <laughs> but he seems to have a more nuanced tactical view of war in we need to achieve this goal but we don't want to hurt people we don't have to which i think shows his maturity over jets you know yeah um and you know it's just jet is is a very sad figure i think when you really stop to think about it i mean this poor guy he lost his parents when he was a little kid. He's kind of been forced to live in the forest. Like he had no other relatives to help take care of him. And I guess there were no other people in his village or town that were able to take care of him. Maybe it was a kind of d- destruction of the whole thing. And, you know, he he grew up in the forest with all these other kids with with nothing but anger and resentment and fear bubbling up and building inside of him. And so it it's not too far of a stretch to think he'd be so willing to destroy the people who hurt him that he forgets about other people. He forgets about innocent civilians in his quest for revenge, in his quest for justice, in his quest for glory. 
Yeah. And it's sad. It's sad that like, you know, he he's come to this because he could have been so intensely like powerful and smart. He could have been a real asset to some kind of Earth Kingdom army or heck, even to the gang. You know, he could have joined them and been really helpful and tactical. But he let his quest for justice in his own warped view override everything else yeah you know so it's sad and and you know the fact that you know we see him later and nothing's changed is really sad you know and and the thing that i love about jet and this show in general is even with their bad characters there's no characters that i hate Mm. you know because i I have watched so much TV in my lifetime and there are plenty of shows that I'm watching where a character is on screen and I'm like, ew, I hate that character. I hate every time there's a storyline with that character. I wish this character would just go away. I hate that they're in the show. But with Avatar, there's really no character that I feel that way about. I mean, sure, I don't like the bad guys like Ozai or Zhao or anything, but like there's no character that I was feeling that way about. Like later on when we see Jet again... I wasn't like, oh, God, Jet again. Like, why can't he just go away? I was like, oh, Jet's here. Like, this is going to be interesting. Like, every character serves a purpose and every character is interesting and compelling. And even if I don't necessarily like the character, I don't hate them and wish that they were gone, which I think is such a good thing. You know, the fact that there's no character that I actively am like, oh, get this guy off my screen, you know? Right. Because there are a lot of shows that I I have that feeling with where I'm like, ugh, you know? <laughs> Is it, it just speaks to the writing. Like mm-hmm. like like you said before, like each character, each um pivotal ca- character adds something. Like they bring something to the table that adds something to the story for a way for it to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess with other TV shows, it's like, okay, this character is here so you could hate them. Yeah, exactly. It's like that. that's just it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else to it. But Jet, yeah, Jet is... um. Jed is not the best person. However, when whenever he's in the picture, you um you know you know that some something is gonna come out of it. Yeah. Like something worthwhile, something that will like uh advance advance the plot. It's not just like, oh, here's here's someone that everyone could hate on, everyone could shit on. Like, no. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, yeah, he's not a good person, but watch watch how he takes the story further. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, Jet and his group try to blow up the dam to stop the Fire Nation army and Sokka with some quick thinking, um, manages to get everyone out of the Earth Kingdom town and save them. I like how is it, um, instead of showing animation of Sokka going to the town and warning everyone, it's a sketch. Yeah, I thought that was so cool. I really love these episodes and their creativity with the art style yeah you know and i also like this episode because it kind of juxtaposes the episode with haru where instead of the old man hurting them he helps them because Mm. the reason that the town believes Sokka is because the old man vouches for him whereas in the episode with haru the old man ends up you know bringing their doom and so i just i just thought that was an interesting juxtaposition no no yeah yeah and then in this episode katara never ever distrust her brother again he's always by his side <laughs> you would think that that's what would happen yeah you would think <laughs> yeah 
I mean, I, I feel like this episode definitely teaches Katara that her brother is actually, you know, capable. So, right. but yeah, no, she still has, they still have their sibling issues, which, you know. <laughs> you got any more notes on this episode? Um, No, that's about, that's about it for, for Jet, you know. So I really like this episode. And as we go through the series and we meet Jet again, I'm sure I'll have more to talk about. Yeah. Definitely got a lot to say. All right. All right. So now the storm. No, no, no. We have to talk about episode 11. We have to talk about episode 11. Ah, let's skip it. Let's, <laughs> let's just go right over it. Let's just go right over it. No, we do have to talk about the Great Divide. We do have to talk about it because it All is right. important. I think you can tell the quality of a show by the quality of its filler episodes. Okay. You know? Mm. Because let's be honest, this is not the only filler episode. Say what you want, but Ember Island Players is a filler episode. That's a good one. <laughs> but I'm just saying, if if The Great Divide is the Avatar The Last Airbender's filler episode, this is a good show because yeah. this is a good filler episode. It's interesting. It's compelling. It's funny. And while it doesn't necessarily further the plot, it does tell us things about the characters. Okay. You know, it's not just dead space, you know, and I think I don't know why this episode gets such a bad rap. Like, I really, really don't. I, don't I mean, either. it's not it's not like the best episode in the whole show, but it's definitely like not terrible. Like, no. I watched it and I didn't hate that I spent a half hour on it. Like, you know, like, okay. um, but yeah, I just I think that this episode gets kind of a, a bad rap. And, you know, I think most of it is, you know teasing i don't think it's actually like hatred mm. but i think that the, if this is their filler episode what does that say about the whole show i right. mean honestly it really speaks to the quality of the show if this is what their filler episode is um <laughs> i love this episode because it starts with like everyone fighting even appa and momo and Aang is just like ta-da i helped you guys <laughs> and it's so cute i love that appa and momo like play and get along and have these little tiffs and stuff <laughs> it's the funniest thing when abba's holding down i'm assuming it was a watermelon yeah like some kind of melon some type of melon and momo gives up yeah. right walks away abba gets ready the way momo just snatches it off <laughs> of abba's tongue and starts running <laughs> hilarious i love momo yeah best character momo shows no fear no fear <laughs> and then Momo complains that that Aang gave Appa the bigger half. Yeah. Like, it's like, come on, Momo. Appa has five stomachs. Yeah. <laughs> You'll survive. Hilarious. Um, but yeah, I also, this episode I think is really good because the dialogue is just so great. Like between Sock and Guitar, like that's how siblings fight. That's, I just love it. I think this, the dialogue is really, really good. And I wonder, I mean, I don't know, but I wonder how much of it is like, writing and how much is, of it is the voice actors mm. like bouncing off each other because i i understand that with voice acting you're not always talking to the person in the room that sometimes you're just in a room by yourself and you're just hearing it in your ear but i just wonder how much of it was like you know may whitman or jack DeSena being like hey wait can i actually call qatar this oh wait can i actually say this to Sokka? like i said this to my brother last week or whatever like it just it feels very real and genuine it feels like these are kids who grew up together and had their spats. Like, you know, mm -hmm. just good dialogue. Um, yeah, so they have to cross this great divide. It's a canyon. And when they get there, there are these two groups of people, of refugees, who need to cross as well to avoid the Fire Nation. Um, 
one of them is the Zhang and one of them is the Ganjin, and they're both very, very different, almost stereotypically opposed. Right. <laughs> one is all... A little on the nose, but... A little too on the nose. Well, it's, it's the kid show. <laughs> you got one that's too snobby and one that's just like slobs and Yeah, everything. they're like almost barbaric. like... Barbaric. Yeah, barbaric, yeah. So these two groups have to cross as well, and they are instantly fighting and they're instantly opposed to each other. And they don't even want to be in the same, like, group. They hate each other so much. Mm -hmm. And Aang, being the kind and good boy that he is, suggests that Appa carry all the elderly and the sick over the canyon. And everyone else kind of walks. Um, (laughs) Which, considering how much Aang hated walking when they were walking through the forest in the previous episode, I'm like... Also, something that I don't understand about this episode is... Why can't Appa just make two trips? Yeah, two trips. Like, does it take Appa the same amount of time to get over the canyon as it does for them to walk? I don't think so. Because Appa's already there when they get there at the end. So I feel like Appa did it a lot faster. That's a good question. I mean, I have a lot of Appa questions. Yeah. Like, just going back a little bit. But with the um, with the Kyoshi warriors, mm. where was Appa when they got ambushed? Oh yeah. And then on the jet episode, where was Appa when I mean I know like they they um they set the bushes on fire, so I guess Appa couldn't whatever, but he could have flew over yeah. and like smacked them with his tail. Yeah. Right. Where's Appa in uh, all these moments? <laughs> but he's sleeping. I don't know. I don't know. He's like, you guys have fun. I'm gonna sleep for a while. <laughs> that is a good question. It might just honestly be like the animators forgot or they were like, We can't have Appa in the scene, so we're just not gonna draw. <laughs> Plot convenience, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Whatever. Anyway, um, this this episode seems like very much that it's peak adults are useless. Like there are a couple episodes in this show that are very much adults are useless, but this episode is peak adults are useless, <laughs> and the only one who can solve problems are kids. Right. <laughs> um, the other thing I wrote down for this episode is why are all the scary things giant? Mm. Like. There are tons of animals in this show, and a lot of them are cute. Some of them are scary. Why are all the scary ones giant? The Unagi is giant. These bugs are giant. Like, why Why are they oversized? Why are they so big? Well, it is a kid's show, <laughs> so they have to show that this is a threat. Yeah. I don't think uh, a, a little tiny bunny <laughs> will, be, will be shown much, much as a threat. Yeah. I just wonder about the evolution and... and um, I just wonder about the evolution of the canyon crawlers. Like, how did they get so big? <laughs> yeah, that is a good question. Like, what are they like giant tarantulas slash the tarantulas mixed with something? Yeah, they're tarantulas mixed with like not termites, but like tarantulas mixed with like maybe cockroaches or something. Maybe. Or I don't know, but they're definitely like that kind of thing mixed with like a spider or something. Yeah. yeah. Also, <laughs> so this is a little bit sad. So I watched the show with my mom mm. and she was watching this episode with me and she goes, oh, I know that voice. And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, the guy who's in charge of the Ganjin, the like snooty people, that's Rene Aubergine. And I was like, oh, let me look. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, you're right. So everyone, my mom just wants everyone to know that she knew who the voice was. It's Rene Aubergine from Star Trek. He's from Star Trek. It did sound familiar to me too. Yeah, he's also like, he's also like a voice actor like he's done tons of other things so yeah okay yeah right, props for your mom <laughs> yeah props for my mom catching that she also knew she also recognized the voice of 
one of the other people in the Ganjin who was voiced by the guy who voices Robin on Teen Titans. Mm -hmm. She's like, who is that? And I was like, oh, you probably don't know his name, but like he's been in a bunch of shows that I've watched with you. And he's actually, I think, been in this like this show Avatar before. Like they just use his voice a lot. Yeah. So this episode was very good for my mom. She (laughs) recognized a lot of voices. That's sweet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She just says she wants credit for that. Um, Hi, Brielle's mom. Yeah. Right. Um, this episode, I will say, I think is so cool because of the animation styles. Like mm. when the two mm. tribes are talking about the history of what happened in the past and why they hate each other, right. how it has those different art styles and how the art styles reflect the cultures of the two groups. Like when the Ganjin explain everything, everything's very like fluid and artistic and beautiful. And when the Zhang explain everything it's very blocky and cartoon-esque and i just think that's so clever and also really cool like it's like these past few episodes have been really interesting for the art and animation yeah you know it's really it's really fun to watch them kind of flex and like show off their skills and their talent and then so they end up having to fight off the canyon critters and working together and the two groups realize that maybe they're better off being friends and working together nah they still hate each other they're fighting <laughs> they still hate each other and like they they hate each other until they get to the end of the episode and ang realizes that the people that they're talking about were actually friends of his and they were just kids and they were playing a game and it's not so serious and it was nothing big and the tribes realize that they could become friends and then Ang reveals that he was lying <laughs> it was a big old lie when when Kantara was all like oh that is so wrong right her tone and like her facial expression being that we just came off the bad boy episode yeah. with Jet I was like oh is is, is um is Katara seeing a little bad boy in yeah. Aang now I was like oh that is so wrong yeah <laughs> yeah I think definitely that's kind of what they were going for but this episode I think just shows how intelligent and clever Aang is mm-hmm. like how sneaky is that? Like he was like, he realized that nothing that he said would get these groups to stop fighting. He could say it happened over a hundred years ago. Let it go. Or you guys are refugees. You have to stick together. You guys fought these cannon critters and you worked together and it was great. He literally was like, nope, I got a lie. And he did. And he pulled it off and it worked like, he, oh man. Very much on the fly too. Yeah. Like, and knowing, knowing that it's a lie after. Mm-hmm re-watching it you could kind of tell like when he's coming up with things it was like well actually they were brothers twins in fact yeah and they weren't adults they were um they were kids yeah yeah like you could kind of like hear it, it and it was really a funny. like holy redemption ball and he's like uh no that was the name of the game when you got to the goalpost you shouted redemption <laughs> which doesn't make sense no, but okay they ran with it and you could you could kind of see um they were kind of doubting his story at first. Mm-hmm. And then, like, he saves it by saying, hey, don't get me wrong. Jin Wei was a uh, was snotty. And when, when, Wei Jin. when Jin was a slob, but this is, it's like he saves it. And then there's like, oh, maybe we've been fighting for no reason. Yeah. And I just think that this episode, why we should kind of stop kind of hating on it is because it shows Aang's you know character it shows that at the end of the day he will always value peace over anything else Mm -hmm. and that like he says multiple times in this episode harsh words won't solve anything you need action 
But action can be peaceful. Action can be helpful. You know, Aang's job as the Avatar is to connect people together and to stop fighting and to keep peace in the world. And I think this episode is like a microcosm of that. It shows him using those skills and utilizing his power to help people in like a really small scale. You know, if he can do it with these two, he can do it with the whole world. Right. You know? Um, it was kind of alluded to that too when he was saying how I'm not sure if I initially when Katara was all like hey Aang like do you want to do something about this he was like I'm not sure like this has been something that's going on for a hundred years so has the war Mm -hmm. so it's just um, a little nice playful foreshadow just like Aang you can't handle this but you can handle a hundred year war yeah (laughs) like that's also been going on for a hundred years and Katara's always the one that's like pushing Aang. It's mm-hmm. like, you can do this. You're mm-hmm. the Avatar. She, she, she. Katara gets Aang in so much trouble sometimes because it's always like, listen really up, does. everybody. She this really is does. the Avatar. <laughs> and Aang's just like, oh, okay. I didn't know we were going to tell the whole world, but all right, <laughs> yep, I'm the Avatar. Yeah. You know? It's very much like a Katara, stop. I didn't want anyone to know, but she just, yeah. <laughs> it's like, Katara's the epitome. Like, if she's like the entourage of a celebrity. Yeah. Listen up, everybody. Usher's here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, Aang and Sock and Katara managed to get everyone across the canyon and everyone's happy. The end. The what end. a nice day. <laughs> the only thing. All right. So my main gripe with this episode, mm-hmm. I didn't have one until I rewatched it. Okay. My main gripe is. It didn't. It didn't lead to anything. Like I, I, I generally want to know the actual story of um, Jin Wei and Wei Jin. Yeah, it never actually gives us closure. You know. Yeah. Like I, I, I get it that Aang told a lie to like solve the conflict, but what actually happened? Mm. You know, in 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 all honesty, I was thinking about that too. I think that it wasn't two people. I think it was one person because mm. Wei Jin, Jin Wei, like yeah. those are the, I think it was one person who was going from one tribe to the other with this orb, whether it was sacred, whether it wasn't, doesn't matter. But something happened along the way where he got stopped and he lost the orb or he was thrown in jail because of a misunderstanding. I think both of their stories have moments of truth. Right. But I think it wasn't two people fighting against each other. I think it was one. I think it was maybe someone from one of the tribes going to the other and something happened, you know, and it just got conflated and exaggerated um, throughout the years. That's a good theory. Yeah. I mean, I think also the point is that it's not important. You know, I mean, I understand like feeling frustrated because I was a little frustrated too that we never really get closure, but that's life. Sometimes you don't get closure and sometimes things that you think are important aren't important you know it was over 100 years ago neither of the tribes had the orb they've been fighting all this time and it really was for no reason and so we don't need to know what really happened because they're starting anew they're starting fresh you know i mean i get what you're saying definitely i guess (laughs) whatever Uh, anything else no i think we're good good i think all right on to the storm on to the storm (laughs) <laughs> um i want to start off this by saying that bobo and Saka are an underrated friendship duo and i love them <laughs> you said some pretty harsh things in my dream oh yeah <laughs> but that 
Yeah, these are some very hurtful things, Momo. I thought it was cool how how um the episode opened up to let let the audience know that this is a dream. Appa's like flapping his arms, mm-hmm. like we know that's not how Appa flies. Yeah, it exactly. Like, it loses the audience, and and if that didn't give it off, then obviously Saga Airbending. Yeah, a guitar <laughs> on a giant Momo. A giant Momo would have gave it away. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was, um. This is the first time we get a flash of Ozai. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that, that happens not not frequently, but like throughout the series, like Aang would get these random flashes of Ozai. Like, yeah, exactly. Posing intimidatingly. Yeah. Because this episode, I think, is is definitely Aang coming to grips with what his disappearance means and mm. what it meant. Um, I also just love this episode because of the way that it uh, goes back and forth between Zuko and Aang, kind of showing from the very beginning how their paths are side by side, which comes into play much, much later when we learn more about who Zuko is and who Aang is and their histories. But I love that right from the kind of start, this episode is telling us as the audience, hey, these two people, they're meant to be going in the same like direction. They're meant to meet at some point. They're meant to have their paths mimic each other. You know, their face are intertwined. Yeah, exactly. Know? And it's it's great because as the audience, you don't know why yet. You just know that like they're supposed to be connected, you know? Mm-hmm. And this episode, I think, does a really cool job of like going back and forth between their stories. And again, Iroh's wisdom be coming through. He just sniffs the air. He's like, there's a storm coming. Mm-hmm. Like we should head southeast. It's like, I don't know. Iroh's just amazing. Man. Yeah. I mean, he's been a general for so many years. It makes sense that he would understand how, you know, sailing works, especially because the Fire Nation works mainly by Navy and Army. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just, I feel a little bad because it must be hard for uh, all the people on that boat to be bossed around by a grumpy teenager. Yeah. Like, these are grown adult men and women who have years of experience and they're bossed around by some upstart teenager with daddy issues. <laughs> It's surprising <laughs> that a lot of them, or it seems like none of them knew the origins of this, yes. of this oh, mission. Oh, I want to talk about that. That was, that was surprising to yeah. me. Yeah, oh yeah. So I guess it's like a secret that Ozai burned his son? Yeah. Like, damn. So, okay, so this is kind of going to be talking a little bit about another episode that's further in the future, mm-hmm. um, which is the episode Zuko Alone. Um, so, I mean, obviously this podcast isn't spoiler free, yeah, but yeah. I, I have to talk about Zuko alone to talk about this. So in Zuko alone, we learn that people in the Earth Kingdom know what happened to Zuko. They know that his father burned his face. But people in the Fire Nation, except for the ones who were there, don't know that. Why is that? That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because of the emotions that that action gives. So to an Earth Kingdom person... To hear that Ozai burned his son's face for speaking out of turn, that inspires fear and that inspires um, submission. Well, oh, well, if Ozai can do that to his own son, well, what can he do to me, an Earth Kingdom peasant? He will destroy me if he's willing to hurt his own son. The Fire Nation is ruthless. The Fire Nation will do whatever it has to do to take power. But in the Fire Nation, that would be bad. They don't want their people to... I think, be afraid of Ozai in the same way. They want them to 
like adore Ozai and obey him out of loyalty and an almost fanaticism. So that's why the Fire Nation doesn't know what happened to Zuko. All they know is that um, Zuko was sent away to find the Avatar. And I think that's so clever on Ozai's part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the only clever things he does. But I think it's so clever that he doesn't, that except for the people who were at the Agni High, no one in the Fire Nation knows what happens to Zuko because that would be bad. People would be like, he burned his own son. What kind of person is this? He's horrible. He can't be our leader. Um, but instead, we're just seeing that, oh, Ozai sent his son to find the Avatar. Oh, man, what knowledge must he have? He right. must know some things we don't. He's so brave and strong and smart. We have to obey Ozai. He is bringing the Fire Nation in the right direction, you know? Mm. So I think it's really, really interesting and very smart on Ozai's part. Use that critical thinking. Yeah, that people outside of the Fire Nation know what happened to Zuko, but not in the Fire Nation. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, I... Um. I also really like to just... So, like, Zuko and I believe Lieutenant G, that's his name, are, like, about to fight. And Iroh's like, hey... Maybe have a bowl of noodles and you'll calm down. <laughs> it's just seen when when the general starts going off, right? Yeah. You can see Iroh in the background. Like as soon as he mentioned respect, I was just like, Yeah, he's like, No, don't do it. it out. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um No, but that's a really, really good point. Yeah. That makes oh wow, that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. for Ozai not to not not to, I guess, like, discourage the morality mm-hmm. in the Fire Nation. Yeah. To, like, keep that a secret. Yeah. Even though we know that he was willing to sacrifice um, rookies mm-hmm. to the Earth Kingdom. Yeah. As, as a pawn just to... Yeah, exactly. Wow, man. Yeah. yeah, that's deep. Yeah. That's real deep. Yeah, Zuko's, Zuko's accident, Zuko's scar, inspires very different emotions based on what you know about it. Um. Yeah, so let's talk about Zuko and then we'll talk about Aang. Mm. Um, it's so funny because when I first watched the show, I knew what happened to Zuko just because I've been alive these past 10 years and, right. you know, I've been on the internet. So I knew that Zuko's father gave him the scar. Right. I knew that. I didn't know how. I didn't know why. I just knew that, like, Zuko's dad did it. So when I was watching it for the first time, like, not rewatch for this, mm. when I was watching it for the first time, oh, my God, is it shocking. Like... Like, as an adult watching, it's, like, how could, it's mind-blowing. Like, how could a parent do that to their son to not only, like, actively hurt their child, but trick them and make them beg and make them cry and then hurt them in front of all these people? Like, it's horrifying. It's disgusting. What was it like watching it as a kid? Oh, it completely went over my head. Really? I didn't. Watching it as a kid, I just remember just, I was like, oh, wow, that, that was pretty harsh. But, oh, <laughs> um, I mean, growing up, growing up Haitian, you, you can't, you're kind of familiar with that type of stuff. Not, not necessarily like, you know, parents. Uh, what? What do you mean you're familiar with that stuff? It's like, all right, so. What well, Ozai. Okay. Ozai, he wants his. He wants Zuko to be strong or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like the whole point, the, I mean, the whole, his whole, his justification of burning Zuko was because he showed um, shameful weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
growing up Haitian, it was kind of the same thing. Like, uh, my dad wanted me or like still wants me just to be this, this strong, tough, uh, guy, dude, um, growing up. So, you know, not that there'll be like times of like physical violence or nothing like that, but it was just like, might like push me the wrong way one time or something like that. So when, so watching it as a child, I was just like, oh, like that's normal. No, <laughs> this sounds really bad. <laughs> I I promise you, I don't have abusive parents. <laughs> I promise. It's it's just, it's, it's just that, um, that thought process that the way he justified, I was just like, yeah, like you, you showed that you was weak. So you got punished for it. Like, you know, you can't really show that, uh, you're, you're weak and, Interesting. Yeah. See, I don't think that's true. I, I mean, think, I I know it's different now, but no, I I don't think I don't think Ozai was mad because Zuko was showing weakness. I think he was mad because Zuko was speaking out against him. That mm. Zuko wasn't behaving and doing exactly what he wanted. The perfect prince. Yeah, I I I don't think that that's why Ozai did what he did because his son was being unmanly or anything. I mean, you're entitled to your opinion, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying. The cruelty that Ozai shows is far beyond that. And I think, you know, his actions to physically mar his son for life speaks to not a desire to see his son be strong, but a desire to merely hurt his son and to punish him. And that is cruel. I, you know, and, and it, it's very interesting because, like, when I was watching it last night for this podcast, I felt myself like getting a little choked up. Like I felt so bad for Zuko because mm. you see that he's at his very core. He's a good kid. He doesn't want to sacrifice unnecessary people. He doesn't want to hurt more people than he should. He's smart. He's clever. And everyone kind of talks down to him and hurts him and betrays him. And, you know, he was willing as what, like a 13-year-old at that point, mm. he was willing to fight a seasoned general because that's who he thought the Agni High was against. And then to have to turn around and see that it's his own father who, you know, we find out later he's been trying to please and, and you know, make proud and, and make his father proud of him the whole time to see that it's his father. Like, oh my gosh, like that must have really messed him up in his head. And then... Yeah. To have his father not take pity on him and to have his father show no mercy and to have his father, you know, so, so like when you first, when I was first watching the show, I like was watching it, blah, 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 blah. And then like after a while, I think sometime in like season three, when we learn a little bit more about like Zuko's past, um, I realized that the shape of Zuko's scar is a handprint which meant that Ozai had to hold his son's face when he burned him. And so for Zuko to be begging his father to show mercy, for Ozai to say, you will learn respect, you will learn, learn dignity, and suffering will be your teacher, and then to hold his son's face, for that split second, Zuko must have been happy. Zuko must have had hope. And then it was all dashed. And like, oh, my heart. Oh, my heart. Like, oh, God. Because, like, when you first, 
realize that like Ozai burned his son's face, what I pictured in my head was like a fire blast. Like yeah. he like shot fire at him. But then you realize that it was like he was holding his son's face. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> you are digging deep. Like, oh, gosh, the trauma of these children. Someone get them a therapist. But it was just like. Yeah, it's just, I just found it really heartbreaking. Um, I mean. At at the time of, of first watching it as a child, I just thought like, you know, it was coming from a place of like trying to make him stronger. But as we learn uh, further down the line that Ozai never really loved Zuko mm-hmm. at all. Um, and, and we see that, especially with the, I guess, unofficial introduction to Azula, mm-hmm. who we see is just smiling with glee of like, yeah, at her brother's pain, yeah. Yeah, because she, she knows that she's the favorite child. She knows that she is the the chosen one, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so just like, yeah, that like finally, mm-hmm. like finally, like, yeah, kick him to the curb, yeah. And Ozai was, and, and we also learned that Ozai was more than willing to kill Zuko. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. If it wasn't for for his mom. Yeah. So yeah, man. Yeah. Um, I also can't help but wonder about. Iroh, because the guilt that he must feel, because he's the one who let Zuko into that war meeting. And when Zuko was getting his first fa- uh, face burned, Iroh looked away. And so I can't help but wonder if Iroh going with Zuko is in part to make up for the the mistakes that he made. Like, the reason that Zuko's on this boat is because of Iroh. Let's kind of, you know, if we want to just be vague about it. Right. So I think... One of the many reasons of, of, you know, that Iroh has been on this boat with Zuko, going along with his plans, appeasing him and trying to teach him is because I think he feels incredibly guilty about his part in Zuko's pain and Zuko's attack. And, you know, I think what's really interesting is that every character in this show really goes on an arc, Iroh included, like just because he's an adult doesn't mean that he doesn't have his own character arc and i think the arc of this show is him kind of accepting and making up for all the atrocities that he's done in his past Mm. you know even though they're not in very large ways they're in very small ways i think his whole arc in this show is him making up for the things that he did in his past one of which you know his actions leading to zuko's attack and zuko's um scar um But yeah, I just love that, you know, we see Zuko's, I think, compassion and his heart, which the Fire Nation considers a weakness, but we know that it's a strength. And I just, I like that we see it even then when he was younger, that he was like, at at his very core, that he's a good person, Um, which again, I think sets up those seeds of his redemption later on that we see that he's a good guy. Um, Not as much of a jerk as he could have been. (laughs) And this, uh, this is a callback to I believe it was um episode three when Iroh's like don't you remember the last time what happened when you spoke up against mm-hmm. someone in power? Yeah. Like now we got the answer. Now we to, got the answer. Yeah man. Yeah. And um I think it's really sweet how after Iroh explains what happened to Zuko, his crew respects him more mm-hmm. and they realize what he's been going through and they work to help each other and save the the guy at the top of the the mast when the storm gets really, really bad. 
And I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone had, everyone really had to like, had a newfound respect for Zuko. Because the fact that he essentially spoke up for them. Because mm-hmm. like they're, they're, they're serving the Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. And it's like to hear that the Fire Lord was willing to just send out rookies mm-hmm. at the mercy of the Earth Kingdom mm-hmm. just, just to get a sneak attack. Yeah. And the only person who stood up for them, the people, mm-hmm. is Zuko. Yeah. They, oh, they had to like love Zuko after that. Yeah. It's like, damn, like I didn't know. Like I just thought he was just some punk, spoiled prince. Exactly, yeah. Turns out he's, he's rooting for us. And the, the fact that he rooted for us caused them all this, mm-hmm. caused them all this pain and suffering. Yeah. You know, and how how um how the generals are like, wow! I thought he was burned in a training accident. Yeah, it's like that really had to hit home, and it was like, wow! Like, no, he he was burned because he was sticking up for me. Yeah, that's deep, man. Yeah, and I think it's and it I you know I think it really speaks for the camaraderie of this group that's on the boat. I mean, we don't really learn much about the people who are on the boat with Zuko and Iroh. But I think it really speaks to the camaraderie that you get when you are stuck in a place with people for so long. And I think it's nice that they show Zuko the respect that he has, not that he necessarily like deserves just by being Zuko, but the respect that he deserves by doing what he has done and, you know, all the work that he puts in and everything. And to see Zuko's concern for the helmsman when he was like falling Mm -hmm. or like, or like dangling. Yes. It had to like just... Uh, reaffirm that that um that thought like he's he's um sticking up for us yeah because you know anybody else would probably be like leave him like yeah. we got to get the ship like if he falls he falls whatever yeah. like zugo the first one to climb yeah the ladder get, yeah man yeah and the fact that he decides to go into the eye of the storm instead of chasing ang mm-hmm. like he cares more about the safety of his crew at that moment than ang which you know speaks to his maturity and yeah. speaks to his i think underlying compassion and then he does one of the many apologies yeah to iroh yes like sorry uncle yeah you're gonna say that a a few more times (laughs) you know but yeah it's good and then you know i just we learn a lot about zuko and i think that everything that we learn about him paints this very interesting sad picture but you know there there's hope is coming for for zuko you know and i think that's good um yeah, now let's talk about Aang's side of the story. Aang's, Aang's life and his version of things during the storm. Um, Man, so sad. Yeah. Both, both are just sad. Yeah. What Aang is just like, he he lost his childhood. Yeah. Like, they um they dropped this bomb on him, this bomb on him saying that he's the Avatar. Yeah. Instead of waiting until he was 16, which they traditionally do. Yeah. Because they realized that war was coming. Dozen was um and it's just like more powerful. Things probably would have been okay for Aang. It was just the fact that everyone started treating him differently. Yeah. It's I like, feel so bad. Yeah, yeah. Like he showed everyone how to do the air scooter and then they came up with a game for it and he can't even play the game. Yeah. Cause being an avatar is an advantage. Yeah, which isn't true. No. I mean, technically he already had an advantage. In general, just because he was such a skilled airbender. Like, he was the only one out of those kids who had the tattoos, which are a symbol of his, like, spiritual, uh, spiritual superiority. But it is. I think it's kind of showing that, unfortunately, for people of 
great skill and great power, there's often a level of loneliness that accompanies that. You know, when your job is to be a bridge for all people, you sometimes are by yourself. And that's unfortunately, I think, something that the avatars have to get used to and they have to deal with the fact that for a lot of their lives, they probably are alone because they're traveling from place to place and they're working with people, but they can't stay. Right. You know. And bless Gyaso's heart, man. Yeah. He, he was really there for Aang. Yeah. You know. He was, he was Aang's father, let's be honest. Yep, but basically, um, his father, his friend, his best friend. Yeah. Is like, he, he can tell that Aang is down as they're playing Pai Show. Yeah. And, you know, he, they jokingly, he he spins the air. Yeah. And it gets Aang to brighten up. He's like, hey. Yeah. You know? And then this little funny daddy had to come in <laughs> and ruin the moment. Yeah. But as Gyaso turns the other monk away, when Aang turns around, he has a smile on his face. Yeah. He's like, like, thank you, Gyaso. Yeah. I mean, I... I understand, like, why the airbenders were like, oh, we have to tell Aang, like, war is coming. But I do feel bad that he wasn't allowed to be a child, yeah. you know, the, the way the other avatars were. Um, one of the things that I think is cool is, um, and I feel like most people know this, this isn't like a new fun fact, but when they reveal the way that they knew that Aang was the avatar by the toys that he picked out as a child, that's the way that they picked the Dalai Lama. So that's, I think, kind of cool. Um huh. Yeah, the way that they uh, pick the next Dalai Lama is they have like a bunch of toys and whatever toys that he picks, those say that he's the Dalai Lama because they believe in reincarnation and everything. Oh, so that's kind of cool that they that. took that from, you know, real Asian culture and, um, you know, used it. I think that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I just. I understand why Ang did what he did, why he ran away. Like, I. I he was just 12 and a war was starting and he was told that suddenly he has to fight this war that he kind of wasn't involved in and right. all of his friends were treating him differently and he would have to be sent away from Gyatso, from Gyatso and like I get it. I understand why he ran. That's a very 12-year-old thing to do. That's a very childlike thing to do and you know it just happened that he ran white into a storm and he ended up frozen. If the storm hadn't happened he would have who knows where he would have run, but they would have found him. And then, you know, he would have just continued on with his life. And so as sad as it is that he ran away, I think it was important that he ran away because then he got frozen and he ended up where he is. Um, Cause Katara is right. Like if he had stayed or if he had been found, um, he would have been killed. He yeah. wasn't nearly strong enough to, you know, defend himself against the fire nation. And I know last podcast, last episode, we talked about like what would have happened if Aang hadn't frozen into the ice. And I was like, well, you know, maybe the airbenders would have survived a little bit, but ultimately, even if they survived at first, they would have been wiped out by the, by the fire nation. I'm sure at some point. So. And Aang probably would have been killed unintentionally in the avatar state. Yeah. Because since he, um, since he wasn't a full fledged avatar and I don't, Assuming that Sozin attacked during the time of like when he, I guess he would be still mastering water. Mm -hmm. Like say that he traveled. When Sozin attacked, like, yeah, like, um, Aang would have gone into the Avatar state, mm -hmm. you know, just naturally, like without, without. Yeah, because he felt threatened, yeah. Without any training. 
and he would have killed and that part that would have ended the yeah the avatar cycle so it as as sad as it is it's probably for the best that he ended up running straight into a storm yeah. and getting frozen um but it must it must like i just i feel so bad for ang in these episodes because the guilt that he must feel that isn't really his fault no like he didn't intend to get frozen in ice and he never planned on it and you know, he probably, when he was flying away, thought, oh, I'll run away to here and Gatso will find me and then everything will be fine. And, you know, I'll become the Avatar, but it'll be fine. You know, so just the, the guilt and the anguish that he must feel that's so unnecessary, I think is so sad. Like, <laughs> you know, but I, but I feel like at the end of this, the important thing that Aang learns and that we as the audience learn is that Aang is a metaphor for hope. Ang brings hope. Ang is hope. He's hope for the people that he helps, and he's hope for Zuko. Yeah. You know, and while he may not have been able to help his people then, he's able to help everyone now. And so I think his, you know, his acceptance of the mistakes that he made and his ability to move on is really important and very mature and very. I think emotionally mature of him to realize that he made mistakes, but he's not this bad guy that that old man said he was, you know, he's just a kid, but he's going to do right this time. What an awful old man. Yeah. He was mean. He is really mean. And the fact that he was going to like pay his wife less or whatever, like when you say like, I'm going to pay whoever doubled and when I pay you, like that's your wife, dude. (laughs) I mean, considering that he gave Sokka a fish, like, that's how they pay. I think it was, he was just being angry, and I don't think he actually, like, pays his wife. I think he was just talking, but yes. It's awful. Um, However, I want a sitcom of Sokka and that old man. They're hilarious (laughs) together. I want a sitcom. I mean, it it could could work. It could work. I could see it. Yeah. The storm, the storm scene is powerful. Yeah. How, um... But just one funny bit when Sako's like, oh, I'm too young to die. Yeah. You guys are like, I ain't, but I still don't want to. <laughs> yeah. That was hilarious. But yeah, how Appa swoops in and like, obviously he can't land anywhere. They tied him up. It's like, hang on. They like, I guess, catapult them onto Appa. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, like everything's great. Now they're going to like, nah, the wave comes. Boom. Everyone's drowning. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's um. Obviously, I, I guess for Aang, it was like a flashback of yeah. like what happened. It was like, nah, this time, there's no freezing and ice, nothing. Like, yeah. Goes into Avatar State, uh, creates air for everyone to breathe, flies up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the opposite side, we got Zuko. They go into the eye of the storm, the mm-hmm. eye of the storm. And we see the unofficial confirmation that lightning can be bended. Yeah. It's so cool they, to they, watch Iroh do that. Just, oh, this is like, like passed over it yeah it was like if you pay attention like that was cool but like it, it could just go right over your head that yeah. he just deflected the light yeah <laughs> he did it so naturally too he's just like and obviously they 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 do it a little bit comedic yeah but making his hair his hair is off freeze. <laughs> um but yeah that it's a subtle reminder of how powerful iroh is oh man yeah and then ang and the group come out the water and him and Zuko got that little stare down. Yeah. That, oh, that was great. Yeah, and and I think that's the acknowledgement of Aang as hope. 
hope for Zuko that he will someday be able to return to the Fire Nation and restore his honor. Um, but yeah, this episode I think is so important for Aang because it's an episode of him realizing his past mistakes and vowing not to make them. Because mm. when we see Aang in the past, he always seems to be running away. He always seems to be running from his problems. And this whole show is him facing his problems. Mm. You know, whether it's working with that spirit, um, hey, bye, and like, you know, actively going to help him or, you know, standing up against the Fire Nation. Aang, before all this, before the iceberg, might have run. He might have run away because he had the comfort of the air nomads behind him because he was like, I'm just a kid. I don't want to get involved in this war. But now I think he realizes that it's not enough to kind of stay out of things. You have to get involved and you can't run away. And this whole show is him stepping up to the plate and and being the avatar that Katara knows he can be and helping people when he didn't before. Which, you know, to be fair, he was a kid. But like, I think this episode is such an important turning point for Aang because it's him letting go of his guilt and his, you know sadness not entirely but letting go of his guilt and his sadness and stepping up into his role of avatar yeah you know this is a really important episode for him i think it's just an important episode overall oh definitely yeah yeah it's a good episode very good and um when this episode ended watching this on netflix and then it went straight into the blue spirit i was like oh this is the next one i know i was <laughs> oh, i want to talk about this one. yeah next, next, next one, one next one but yeah i just this episode i think is a really good one and it's a really good one to kind of end on yes like they go off into the calm eye of the storm you know yeah and now let's have some noodles and calm down <laughs> <laughs> and then gets gets an apology from the old man yeah Again. which is nice like if you weren't here then i wouldn't be here thank yeah. you avatar yeah and here's a fish <laughs> here's a fish for your troubles yeah oh <laughs> uh, yes i guess that's um yeah, I think we're done with this podcast. Uh, thank you all for watching and listening. As always, it will be on Anchor. It will be on Spotify. It will be on... Uh, there are a few places that you can listen to it. If you go to our Anchor page, there's like a link and it shows you where you can listen so you can choose which one works best for you. We will also be on YouTube. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Let us know what you think. We yeah. we want some feedback. And uh, we will see you next time, right? Yep. <laughs> All right then. Later. Bye.